Amen. Psalm 20, so if you would uh, find your way there. Um, the new Week Sheep album is out today called Mumbling Shame, and it's on Amazon, Apple, Pandora, YouTube, Music, and it will be on Spotify soon. So um, those are ways that you could listen to it and or buy it. Yeah, okay. So you listen to it, yeah. And then, of course, this particular album, they did videos for each one of the um, songs. And they were really good. And I, I have my favorite on the album. I listen to it every week. Um, but anyway, if you want to listen to that. And then they are doing a concert this week at the um, skate shop down on Mid or uh, Pioneer. So it's real small, so I'm sure it's going to be spilling out into the street there. And So anyway. Okay. I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I'm not. So I'm going to just go ahead and read our text tonight. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice, Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose or counsel, we will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Verse 6, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May, may the king answer us when we call. Um, Father, we pray that as we look at the psalm tonight that you would help us to glean as much as we can from it. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the psalms. We thank you for these songs that are really full of, of uh, doctrine and prophecy and hope and instruction and, and, and. There's so much in them, Lord. Thank you for each one, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd bless our time tonight. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. I, I just realized something. I, anyway, I'm not even going to talk about that. But I saw something as I was reading through it this time. I've been reading through the text uh, uh, for two weeks now. Um, and, um, and I just saw something tonight as I was reading that last bit, and that's why I paused, and I thought, 
oh man, I, I missed something there. But anyway, that's between me and the Lord, I guess. You know, I was thinking as we're worshiping the Lord and there, it is a beautiful thing to worship the Lord. Um, I, when, when I first came to faith in Christ, uh, Tracy and I were attending, we started attending this little Bible church. And uh, when we first started attending that church, I think there was probably 60 people, and we met in two classrooms of a Christian school. They had put up an accordion wall between two classrooms, and so the church met in that section. And then uh, the next year or so, they built a gymnasium at the Christian school, and then we moved the church into the Christian school. And the church really grew because the community was growing. And it was a you know very conservative church. It wasn't really a church that taught the word of God, but they surely preached the word of God. And worship was um, hymns. So you would open up your hymn, and, and the pastor many times would, would lead the worship, and he would say, okay, um, you know, turn to psalm, and he'd give the number, and then he would say, let's sing, uh, you know, stanza, you know, this and that, and you would sing the song. Now, and, and it was worship. It was, you know, wonderful. And you would, you know, you'd read the little hymnals, and of course those old hymnals had um, the music scores so that it could be played on piano, you know, or, or whatever. And, um, and then you would have the words over each of the notes and so on and so forth. And, um, and that, was, that was all well and good. Then we started to attend a Calvary Chapel, and every Calvary Chapel that we attended um, back in those days, so Calvary Chapel Grass Valley, Calvary Chapel Encinitas, Calvary Chapel San Diego, Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara, uh, the Calvaries that we would attend depending upon where we were living at any given time. Um, back then, there was nothing written. It was, you would just learn the songs. Um, there was no overhead, there were no screens, there was nothing like that. Um, you would just kind of come into the church, and of course, uh, a lot of the songs, they weren't the, the old hymns, uh, though there were some old hymns. You know, hymns, they, there's different categories of hymns as well. There's good ones and there's not so good ones. I mean, let's be honest. Um, there's some that, you know, are full of doctrine, there's others that are full of other stuff, you know, they're, they're not that good. But, but, um, but the, we would sing these choruses. And I thought it was so beautiful because I thought, boy, it's amazing how you can remember these songs. I was thinking about it tonight. You know, um, Marielle starts playing the song, and I just... Now, if, if Marielle or someone was to say... Um, hey, Dad. Well, Mario would have to say that because you don't call me Dad. But, um, Dad, um, I'm going to do this song. Would you tell me the lyrics of that song? I would be hard-pressed. I have no idea. I don't know where to even start. But as she's playing, immediately in my mind, there's some connection. I recognize the song. I recognize the music. And then the words just are there. And, and, and that's true of most of the songs that we do. Um, and most of the songs that we did in the past, they're kind of easy, easy to learn. When we would learn a new song, I think of when we were in Calvary Grass Valley, because we were there longer than any of the other Calvaries. When they were introducing a new song, they would put it in the bulletin. 
we would sing it twice on the Sunday morning services. So we went to more than one service. So we were singing it, you know, four or, or more times. And then on Wednesday night, it would be printed out as well on a, on a piece of paper, and we would sing it again, and that was it. There was no more printed out music, and you just kind of learned the song. And it's amazing how many songs you could learn in a fairly short period of time. You say, what does that have to do with anything? We need to remember that the Psalms were songs, or they are songs, and they were accompanied by music. And so for the Jewish people, as the Psalms were sung, I kind of imagine, you know, Psalm 20, and they're there, and the music begins, and they remember Psalm 20, and they begin to sing out, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. See, maybe they couldn't recite that psalm verbatim without the music, but with the music score, without, with the music being played, there's this connection with the brain and the heart and the mouth and everything is, is going. And I think that's what's so beautiful about worship. If you don't worship, you're missing out. It really is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not uh, rebuking anybody, but I'm just, I'm just frankly telling you. If you don't worship, you're, you're missing out. It's beautiful. To me, I love the fact that I don't have to, unless it's a new song or a song that I'm not really familiar with the words, maybe a little bit more wordy song. But I love the fact that I can come into this place and the music starts and I can shut my eyes. So now I'm not distracted by anything or anyone else. You could be doing somersaults in here and my eyes are shut so I'm not, I'm not seeing it. I suggest that you do not do somersaults during worship. But, but I, and I could just shut my eyes and I could worship the Lord and I'm thinking of the song that we're singing because we're singing to the Lord. So for me personally, and maybe I'm just easily distracted by things, but for me, the worship is so sweet because I'm no longer dependent. I am dependent upon the worship leader, um, but I'm no longer dependent upon the words. I've kind of hidden these things in my heart. I think of, I was thinking of that as we we're worshiping tonight because I was thinking, oh, I wish I could remember the Psalms like, like I could remember the worship songs that we've done. I mean, if, if someone was to start playing a, a worship song that we did 40 years ago, we would be able to sing it. Tracy and I would just, oh, oh, yes, I remember that song, you know, uh, you know, your banner over me. Is, you know, we could just sort of come back. It would just come back to our memory. And, and, and I wish that I could remember the Psalms that way. And I suggest to you that the Hebrew people did remember the Psalms in that way. Psalm 20. Psalm 20 is, is believed to be. Now, I want to emphasize that because there is no, you know, there's no note saying this is what this psalm was written about, but it's believed uh, by, by some uh, scholars that Psalm 20 was a prelude to war. Psalm 21 was a postscript to war. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read Psalm 20, I'm not thinking about war. When I read Psalm 20, I'm thinking about something else. Now, this is where we personalize scripture. We all have favorite verses, favorite portions of scripture, surely favorite psalms. 
And those psalms or those scriptures become our favorites, usually because the Lord has spoken to us in a very direct and special way. And it's usually in times of difficulty or, or you know, some trial or some hardship that we're going through. The Lord speaks to us through that particular portion of scripture. And then that particular portion of scripture becomes not only our favorite, but it becomes so special and so dear to us. It causes us to remember, to reflect upon a time of our, of our lives that we're, you know, we saw the faithfulness of God, or whatever, whatever it might be. And Psalm 20 is, is definitely one of those psalms for me. A few weeks ago, Nate did Psalm 19. And I, I have to admit, as he was teaching Psalm 19, I found myself glancing over to Psalm 20. And I was just kind of reflecting, I was just remembering, uh, you know, a personal thing that Tracy and I had gone through. And I'll touch on that a little bit tonight. I want you to note that in Psalm 20, we have... Seven Mays. May the Lord, may the name of the God, may he, may he, may he. Again, may the Lord. And then the seventh, may the king answer when we call. Um, this is, guys, listen, the word may indicates that this is a, this is a psalm or a prayer of intercession. As, as you read it, it's apparent that, that there are, there's the intercessor. Now, this is a psalm of David, so we would say David is the intercessor. But, but maybe it speaks even of a larger, a larger group. So intercessors are those who pray on behalf of others. By the way, we do that. We have a prayer meeting where we many times will, will, will pray fervently for situations and people and, and that type of thing. And I'll tell you, we have seen the Lord move in miraculous ways over the decades here at Calvary Chapel, uh, uh, Oak Harbor, just by taking these burdens before the Lord, casting them before him and saying, oh, Lord, help. Help us, Lord. So I suggest to you, if you ever find yourself in a jam, you might want to come to the prayer meeting and pour those things out to the Lord and just see what the Lord does. I'll tell you, the Lord wants us to pray. He wants us to pray fervently. So verse 1 says, may the Lord, may the Lord, may the Lord, well, he, he, asked, for, he asked for 10 things. May the Lord answer you. May the Lord defend you. May the Lord help you. May the Lord strengthen you. May the Lord cause you to remember and to accept and to grant and to fulfill. And to fulfill, we see that twice. And then verse 9, may the king answer. Ten things that the intercessor is asking, really praying to the Lord on behalf of the one or the ones that he's praying for. So may the Lord answer you. What a privilege it is that, that God here. God, who created all things, who, who, who holds all things together, the God who's outside of time and space and everything else, the self-existent one, the God bends his ear to the heart cry of his children, especially in their times of need, but all the time. He says, may the name of the God of Jacob defend you. That word defend, it means to set Set you in a high place. Guys, can you think of, I mean, you don't have to give me the verses, but 
when I, when I say that, being set in a high place, we see that over and over again in the scriptures, don't we? Um, many places, we're, we're talking about being set in a high place. If you're in a high place, you could be lifted above the troubles, above the woes, above the, the turmoil that's happening down below you. Um, you have a different perspective on things, you know, being set on high. I'll give you a, an example, Proverbs 18.10. Listen to what it says. The name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it. Listen, not to the tower, to the name of the Lord. They run to it and are safe. We're so quick to defend ourselves and to fall back on, you know, what we think will work. And when we do, many times we create more problems for ourselves. Now, would you keep your hand there in Psalm 20 and turn to Genesis? So Genesis, you know, I don't want to insult you, first book of the Bible, so it's easy to find. Chapter 32, fairly easy to find. And I'd like you to look with me, beginning in verse 24. So I just read, the name of the God of Jacob. The name of the God of Jacob. Verse 24, then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he, that is the man, saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket, or really actually struck the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. Well, I know what that feels like. It's not fun. As he wrestled with him, so the, he, the man, as he wrestled with him, and he said, let me go. That is the man. He said, let me go. For the day breaks, but he, that's Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he, that is the man, said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he, the man, said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have, this is what he says, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So the man, obviously it's the Lord, it's, he wrestled with the Lord. Uh, he does not prevail over Jacob only because he did not choose to prevail over Jacob. I mean, there's, there's a spiritual struggle that's happening here. It's really a, a beautiful and profound thing. But you, you look at, you, you, if you're familiar with Jacob and the kind of man he was and all, we, we see that God, God mastered Jacob. God uh, molded Jacob. God, in time, magnified Jacob. God defended Jacob on many occasions. God renamed Jacob from hill catcher to he will rule as God, Israel. Only God could do that. The name 
of God of Jacob. Now, we're never told the name of the God of Jacob here in the text, in, in, in Psalm 20, or in Genesis 32. But we see that the place was called Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Now, I might be reading into this, but I couldn't help but think of the struggles that I've gone through, that we've gone through. And um, it seems as if once you've passed through the difficulties, the wrestling, the struggling, once you've passed through the hard things, you know, maybe as you're in the difficult times, you're saying, oh, Lord, where are you in all of this? And, and it, you know, it's like, Lord, I need to know your presence. I need to see you like never before. I mean, this is the time, Lord. And, and I find many times in my life that those times, it seems as if God is silent. It seems as if God is absent. But once you get through it, once you, you know, you, you, you're holding on to your faith, when you get through it, then you have kind of this experience. The experience is this. You get through the thing, and you say, God was there all along. See, it's, it's kind of that, that experience. I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Through, through my wrestling, through my struggling, we see him more closely as we're going through these difficulties, these hardships. And, and, and that's what we saw with Jacob, of course, and it was in a different uh, way. But I think of this psalm. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Have you been there, day of trouble? May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary uh, and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember, may he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt offerings. And then we have that Selah. Selah. Boom it out, boys. See, that's a note to the musician. That's a note to the worship leader. Boom it out. Lift the music up. Some suggest that it means, what do you think of that? Kind of a pause. What do you think of that? I just made this proclamation. I just made this statement. What do you think of that? And there's a note that the music would rise up, that there would be the significance. You know, this is a point of of uh, importance, you know, these things. The God of Jacob is the God who loves us in spite of <laughs> what we've done. Remember Jacob? Guys, this is why we need to be people of the word of God. So many people are so discouraged, and I'm telling you, the reason we get so discouraged is because we're not in the word. And if we are in the word, we're not believing the word. And we allow our emotions and our feelings to dictate our own reality, rather than falling back on, you know, Lord, things don't look good, but I know this to be true. <laughs> You're still on the throne. You're still in control. You know what I'm saying? We need to remind ourselves of that, because the fact of the matter is, we have, we will, you know, in the future, maybe you are presently going through difficult times. God is in control. And so again, <laughs> may, may the name of the God of Jacob defend you, set you up, set you on high. Look at, may he send you help. 
I thought this was interesting. The verb help, it's used about 80 times in the Bible. And, um, but the first place it's found in the Bible is in Genesis 49:25, And that was Jacob speaking. He's on his deathbed. And as he was speaking to Joseph, his son, he said, by the God of your father who will help you. He says to, to Joseph, Joseph, I know it's been hard for you. <laughs> I know that you've really gone through it. I mean, your brothers wanted to kill you, and they sold you into slavery, and, and all of these difficulties. You know, you're put into prison for two years because you're accused of, of forcing yourself upon the Pharaoh's wife. And I, I know all of these bad things that are happening. And I know this. God is faithful. God is faithful. Uh, um, so, so Joseph, God will help you. That was part of the blessing that he spoke to him. It speaks of the Lord strengthening you out of Zion. Strengthening you out of Zion. Obviously, when you read the psalm, it's, it's for someone or maybe more than one person. Maybe there's a group of people. They're going through it. You know, if it is a prelude to war, maybe they're frightened. They're, they're, they're concerned about the outcome of, of the battle. Uh, the king, King David, he's, he's interceding for them. You know, he's asking for God's blessing and protection and all upon them. If it is, speaking of, you know, the prelude to war, they would surely need to be encouraged. But I think of that strengthened. We need to be strengthened. Sometimes we just feel so weak. I think of, of Paul. Remember when Paul, he spoke about having this vision now, I don't want to say vision because he wasn't even sure. Was it, you know, in person or out of person, in body or out of body? But he's taken up to paradise, you know, and he sees things that you just can't speak about. Which, again, you know, I say this quite often, guys, and I usually am sarcastic when I say it. But, you know, God has given us a brain. He wants us to use it, you know. But we live in a day and age where so many people supposedly have gone to heaven and they have all these stories to tell. And I'll tell you, you could listen to them and you could buy their books. Silly, silly people. Or you could fall back on what the Word of God says. Here the Apostle Paul, I trust him. You know, I, I, I like reading his epistles and applying his 13 epistles to my life as a Christian. And the Apostle Paul says, I saw these things and I can't even speak about them. But apparently today people are writing books about it all the time. I'd rather believe Paul than these supposed, uh, you know, people seeking the honor of man or making a buck. But Paul, he talks about seeing this, and then he said that he was given, given an instrument or a, a, from Satan, a thorn of the flesh, remember? And, and the thorn of the flesh, we don't know what it was for sure, some speculate that it was his eyes. We know that he had an eye issue. Some suggest that it was something else. But it was, it was tormenting. And he asked the Lord three times that the Lord might remove it. And the Lord spoke to him. And the Lord said, and he said to me, my grace. Now listen, it's not just grace, it's his grace. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Um, you, you'll note 
in this verse, and I'll, I'll finish the, the verse in just a moment here, but you know, it says, my, God speaking, my strength is made perfect in weakness. The strength is God's. The strength is always God's. The weakness was Paul's or ours. We're the weak ones. He's the strong one, see? And, it's, and he said, um, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. It's as if Paul says, listen, if, if it's through my weaknesses, through my infirmities, that I can really experience the strength of God, then bring it on. Bring it on. Guys, we have to think differently than we do. Because the natural man, the natural mind, is always trying to figure things out. Or trying to manipulate God. If we do this, maybe God will move, you know, rather than just simply trusting in him. Verse 3, may he remember all your offerings. Remember what Jesus said? Well, you know, he said it, first of all, to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. I know your works. He said that to if not all of the seven churches, he said something close to that. He knows. He sees. Verse 4, may he grant you according to your heart's desire. What a wonderful prayer. May he grant you according to his heart's desire. Psalm uh, 37, verse 4, you know it. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you your heart's desire. It's magic. No, it's not magic. It's not magic at all. It's when we truly, listen, it's when we truly delight ourselves in him. He changes our heart's desire so that it becomes what he desires for us. Do you guys get that? It's, it's not this, you know, whatever I want, I say it and I claim it and I believe it and it is. How arrogant. How arrogant. Man, you almost want to back up 10 feet, you know, in case the lightning bolt hits, you know. And maybe it'd be good if lightning bolts were coming up from heaven every now and again. Maybe we'd be on our toes a little bit, more spiritually speaking. But it's this, it's this I'm seeking you, Lord. I want what you want, Lord. I could remember many times in my life, uh, you know, Tracy... Uh, where we thought we wanted this thing or this was going to be a good thing and, and, and it's like the Lord would give us what we thought we wanted. And I'll tell you, there were many times we regretted getting it. We thought, man, this is not what we thought it would be. This is not good. But, you know, because we belong to him, the Lord has a way of working those things out. Um. When we were in Grass Valley and, and I um, was, uh, Tracy and I, you know, we, we always wanted to live, you know, in a log house and our cabin and, and just kind of out there and everything. And, and um, we actually, uh, a guy in, in Nevada City, he owned uh, um, a restaurant. I was trying to, truck, tuck, fryer. Something Friar. Anyway, Friar Tuck. Yes, Friar Tuck. Yes, Friar Tuck um, owned this restaurant in Nevada City. 
I don't know how we met him, but we're talking to him one time, and uh, he had mentioned that he and his ex-wife had built a log house. He said it's brand new. Log house, it's outside of Nevada City, and, um, and he doesn't want to live in it because they got divorced, and it was just kind of this bitter thing, and he said, you know, you guys want to rent it? I'll rent it to you for a really good price. And he said, here's the keys, go out and check it out. And uh, we drove out there, and, and uh, you know, there was this road, you know, kind of up to the log house, and brand new log house. I mean, it smelled new. You know, everything was new in it, you know. And he said, oh, this is unbelievable. And then we, you know, came back, we're thinking, you know, it's probably going to be an arm and a leg to rent the thing. And we went into the restaurant, we said, oh, we love it, you know. How much do you rent, want to rent it for? And he said, I'll rent it to you for $350. Now, that was back in the day. But still, that was about what we were paying at the house we were living in. So we started moving the stuff out of our rental in Lake of the Pines up to Nevada City. And, and I'll tell you, I was, I was really wondering, how are we going to do this in the winter? Because the road was really, you know, and we in our little Honda Civic or my little, uh, you know, Chevy Love truck, you know, bouncing all over the place. Neither one of them were four wheel drive, and and I thought, man, when the snow comes, you know, especially on this side of Nevada City, we're going to get a good dump, you know. But of course, we were young, and we didn't think of the practical stuff, you know. We had half of our house moved in there. The remainder was in the, the other house. I was working for uh, my best friend, the fellow who led me to the Lord. He started this new project. This guy who had come from the East Coast was building these homes, Nantucket homes, on, on, in, in Grass Valley in Nevada City. Real nice homes. And so uh, Dave, I worked with Dave, and he hired this guy uh, that was a framer, though he hadn't framed for 15 years. That's not a good sign. <laughs> when you, you know, he was a biker, you know, and he was working on bikes and stuff for the past 15 years, but he was this, you know, this framer. And so he hired him, and he hired his brother-in-law who lived in Sandy, Idaho. And so he came down, and uh, he was kind of, he'd go home on the weekends and all. And so we're on the job, and it's like, uh, you know, the third day on the job, and it's apparent that these two guys, uh, Dave's not on the job. He's the superintendent, so he's not putting his bags on or anything. And so these two guys, his brother-in-law and Dan Kopp, this other fellow, the biker guy, they both thought that they were in charge. And so, you know, the kind of the power struggle, you know. Hey, Dan, they'd say to me, uh, go do this. And then the other guy would say, hey, what are you doing over there, Dan? Come over here. I need you over here. And so, the, you know, and so then they start fighting with one another. And so um, Dave comes back to the job. Anyway, long story. Dan Kopp says, yeah, Dan Renner, he's just not working out, you know. And so he fired me, my best friend at the time. And uh, so I had to kill him. No, I'm not joking. So anyway, what a horrible thing to say. Where did that come from? Anyway, get behind me, Satan. Anyway, so he, he let me go. And, um, 
And I was, I was devastated. I thought, you've got to be kidding. You know, so I come home and I tell Tracy, I said, I, I got fired. I don't have a job. And um, so I said, what are we going to do? We had half of our stuff in the log house and half of our stuff. And we just kind of said, man, let's just go back to Santa Barbara. And so we did. We, we went to, uh, you know, the, the new landlord, and we said, we can't do it. I just lost my job. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Got moved all the stuff out, moved the stuff out of the other house, put it in storage, and we drove down to Santa Barbara. And before we, I mean, just as we're getting ready to leave, um, I see Dave's brother-in-law driving down the road, and he stops and he says, hey, Danny, I'm sorry. That was a rough deal, what happened to you. And I said, yeah, kind of threw me for, you know. And I said, where are you going? And he said, I'm out of here. I quit. That guy doesn't know what he's doing. And, of course, sadly, the, the, you know, this hotshot framer, they had to end up, I mean, removing the trusses from the Everything, all the layout, everything was wrong on the house. And these were really, really expensive homes at the time. But we ended up going back to Santa Barbara. And we were there for a year. And uh, we had made our, my in-laws garage into a little apartment uh, for Tracy and I and Josh. And, and it was hard. Man, it was so hard. And Trace would go out and she'd look for a rental. And we couldn't afford anything in Santa Barbara, nothing. She would come back, she'd be crying. I looked at a place today, you know, it was like $800, which was, you know, could have been $3,000 at that time for us. And she said it was cinder block and it was just, you know, it was horrible. There was, wasn't even kitchen cabinets. It was just like a sh wood shelf on the wall. And she said, we're never gonna find a place. There for a year. So hard. Lord, where are you? Where are you? During that year, we immediately started to attend Calvary Chapel Santa Barbara. Um, that is the first Calvary that we started to attend. And I was so taken by the teaching of the Word of God. There was this phenomenal spiritual growth that happened in that year. We were there for a year to the, to the day. I got a call from a friend in Grass Valley. He said, hey, I'm working for this new company. It will be a commute, but you'll never make more money than, you've, than you'll make here, you know, at that particular time period. Good company. Uh, come up, I have a job for you. And I know someone who has a rental for you. And we ended up moving back up there. The rental that we ended up renting was right down the street from the rental that we were living in the first time in Lake of the Pines. So all that to say, we regretted it. We thought, what are we doing in Santa Barbara? But because we belong to him, the Lord took those difficult things, those struggles, and he blessed us in it and through it. And it was beautiful. And that's what God does for his people. Listen, he says... In verse 5, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Again, the principle is the same that we see in verse 4. You know, Jesus said it. 
but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You know, it's amazing how the name it and claim it, you know, the these dominion theology people, they're always yakky, 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 you know. They always leave out the most important part, and that is seeking the Lord with all your heart. And if we're seeking the Lord with all of our heart, you know what? We're not going to be able to justify being greedy for dough, doing everything for riches, building our kingdom here on this earth. We're not going to do it. Listen, if God blesses you, blesses us in this life, you know, with those types of things, praise the Lord. But God is not the means to get those things. And that's what a lot of people have reduced God to, you know. He's the means. He's Santa Claus, you know, and I believe in you, so therefore you need to bless me. And I'll tell you, you cannot find a Bible verse to, to, to even, you know, hit to that. But the person who's truly seeking him says, Lord, I want your will. I want your will. And, and, and when we do that, then he says all these things. What things? Well, all the things pertaining to life, food, clothing shall be added to you. And then we see the confidence of the intercessor. We will, verse 5. We will, verse 5 again. We will, verse 7. We will rejoice in your salvation. It's anticipating good things. I love what, listen to this, Spurgeon wrote this. Unbel quote, unbelief begins weeping for the funeral before the man is dead. Why shouldn't faith commerce, uh, commence piping or rejoicing before the dance of victory begins? This is not, you know, name it and claim it. It's just simply falling back on what you know to be true about the Lord. In verse 5, we will set up our banner. The word banner, it's used here and only one other place in the entire Bible, and that place is Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 10. And the word means chiefest. It means, listen, to flaunt. It means, obviously, to raise a flag. It means to be conspicuous or obvious. I love it. The confidence of the intercessor. We're going to be conspicuous. We're, we're going to flaunt this. Confidence that God will answer. We will. We will. Because he will. Verse 6. Look at it. Because he will. They anticipated shouting for joy over their triumph. Then you get to verse 6. And it says, now I know. Now I know. Now I know that the Lord saves his Pointed. Please note, the Lord saves his. Are you a Christian? Are you a Bible believer? Or are you a socialist? You say, what do you mean by that? See, the socialist mindset that has really just been forced upon us as a nation is that you know, God should help everybody. God should do good to everybody. As if we're all deserving when none of us are deserving. None of us. But there is, there, and God does do good things. I mean, he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. So that's a good thing. 
you know. Um, but, but here, the psalmist is pointing out the fact that the Lord saves his. The Lord saves his. In fact, the word saves can be rendered saved. What does that mean? In the Psalms, strong confidence is often expressed by the past tense as if it's already happened. It's as good as done. And then it goes on and says, some trust in chariots, trusting in the things we can see, trusting in the arm of the flesh. Do you know, uh, let, let me read this kind of in closing, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit of why this psalm is so important and special to Tracy and I. But when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, when he entered Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Hezekiah, excuse me, he encouraged the people with these words. Listen to these words. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed before the king of Assyria. I love this part, the next part. Before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him. There was a multitude with him. He says, don't, don't, don't fret about that. And then he says something that seems, I'm sure, would have seemed ridiculous at the time. He says, for there are more with us than with him. With him is the arm of the flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battle. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. That's 2 Chronicles 32. It speaks of that kind of confidence. There will be times in our life when we will be dismayed, when we will be afraid. There will be times in our life when we will be overwhelmed. I mean, it's a given. But during such times, we need to fall back. We need to remember past victories. This is, this is what's going to get us through. Falling back on the past victories. He was faithful. He is faithful. Now, this particular psalm is special to Tracy and I because um, when Tracy was pregnant with Nehemiah, our fourth child, um, you know, the Lord has impressed, I say spoken, but I've never heard an audible voice from the Lord, but there have been times that he has impressed uh, something on my heart. And um, uh, one time, um, uh, we were we were going to Tacoma because a family in the church, their little six-year-old daughter was in the hospital, children's hospital in Tacoma. And as we were driving, Tracy and I, I remember it as if it happened yesterday. It happened a long, long time ago. But we were driving in Deception Path, right before getting on the bridge, right where all the beautiful trees are. And I remember turning to Tracy and I said, um, and I said her name, uh, Sarah, and I said, I, Sarah's going to die. And she said, Danny, what a strange thing to say. And I thought, what a strange thing to say. Why would I say that? And within hours, you know, there with her and her, 
her parents, um, we were there when, when Sarah died. I don't know why. I felt like, you know, after it happened that the Lord was kind of preparing us because, to be honest, we had never, ever dealt with that before, Tracy and I. Being with someone, how do you comfort someone who's lost their child? It was so sad. I mean, just so incredibly sad, you know. But I kind of felt that way when, when Tracy was pregnant with Nehemiah. And I remember saying to Tracy, I said, I, I just, I think that something's wrong with this baby. You know, back then we didn't know the sex, you know, we just waited till they came out, you know, and, and um, maybe they could tell, maybe we didn't want to know, I don't know, but we, we didn't know the sex of the ba child, but we just, and I just felt like there was possibly something was going to be wrong. And again, it's one of those things where you just kind of shake it from your head and say, oh gosh, I hope not. And Nehemiah, he was born, and uh, he came out sunny side up, and so he had these marks for the longest time on his forehead, on his nose, on his chin, for a long time, probably the first year of his life, little guy. And um, so he's born, you know, Nehemiah, Daniel, and, our, you know, our fourth child, a wonderful, you know, what a... You know, two boys, two girls, beautiful. And, um, and we noticed almost immediately that when he would cry, um, he would begin to kind of turn blue, like he wasn't getting enough air, his lips. I thought, boy, that's strange. What's going on? And Tracy, mom, of course, she picked up on it right away. And so we just need to watch him. There was a father and son uh, camp out at the church, with the church. And so Josh and I went uh, camping. Um, and so uh, Nehemiah was about two weeks old at that point. And I, there was a, a phone at the campground. And so I called because I had been checking in with Trace. And I said, how'd it go last night? And Trace said, oh, it was so scary. I thought he was going to stop breathing. He just started crying, and he couldn't catch his breath. And I was so scared. And then finally, you know, he just kind of settled down. And, and I said, oh. I said, well, I, we're going to come home. She goes, no, Danny, don't, I, don't wanna, I don't want you to worry about it. It will be okay. I said, no, I'm coming home. So came home from the camp out, uh, and then there was another incident, and we took him to the hospital there in Grass Valley, and 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 they were trying to describe to them, you know, what was going on. Of course, they don't know until he got upset. Then he got upset, and they were able to see precisely what was going on. Said, oh, that's not good. So they said, well, boy, we need to look down, you know, kind of see maybe there's something, you know. So they took him in at the hospital there in Grass Valley and they put a scope down his throat and came back and they said, we can't see anything. You really need to go to uh, UC Davis, so down in Sacramento. And uh, they have, you know, they'll be able to run more tests and everything. We, we really think you need to do that. And anyway, there were some other things that had happened and they ended up um, putting Tracy and Nehemiah in an ambulance, and I followed them down, and 
And and UC Davis, the, the area of you know, we lived up in the hills, so we were like mountain people, you know, real mellow and everything. And we got to UC Davis, and uh, I had no idea where I was going. I thought for sure they're going to take off, and I'm not going to be able to find the location because you know there was no. So there was no GPS. There was none of that, you know. I mean, you just kind of follow me, you know, and, and we're going through. And we get there, and it was like a madhouse. And we, they willed little, you know, he's like two weeks old in this, on this big gurney, and they're willing up to the emergency, and the paramedic turned back at us, and he said, grab onto the gurney, don't let go, just keep moving because they'll try to stop us, but just keep moving. So we go in, the door's open, and there's people, I mean, it's like, there's people shot and stabbed. I mean, it was like a movie. It was so bizarre. And they come wheeling in, and they just kept going, and the receptionist said, no, 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 wait, 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 you can't just come in here. They said, we're coming in. This baby needs help now. And so they just kind of, you know, you know, boom, 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 boom. no, they didn't do that. So anyway. so anyway, they ran tests. So that took another week, kind of, you know, running these tests and everything. MRIs, you know, you try to do that on an infant. You know, they had to tape him in there so that he wouldn't move because you can't tell an infant not to move. And they would do it, and they'd say, oh, he moved at the last, you know, we didn't get a good enough shot, you know, and anyway, long story, a lot of, lot of drama, a lot of, the room that we stayed in, it wasn't like your own room, or it wasn't like you were sharing a room. UC Davis is a university, and so there were, like, eight beds over here, and across a little way, another eight beds, and then another, and they're all children. And you're surrounded by these, these children that are just, like the little guy right next to us, he was a toddler, and he had open heart surgery, and the bones became infected when they opened him up. I mean, it was like everywhere you looked, it was just so heavy, and so it was just so hard to be there. And then we're kind of trying to figure out what's going on with our little guy. And it ended up that our little guy had a double aortic arch. And so... Um, the, the main blood vessel involving the aorta had formed a vascular ring and it was around the trachea. And so he was literally suffocating to death. And when he would cry, so when he got upset, then all of a sudden, you know, everything, and he just, he, he couldn't breathe. And so it was just so frightening. And anyway, you know, we had different people from the church. They were so wonderful. I had, um, I had gone on staff, so I was full-time at the church. Um, though I had Mondays off, and I, did, I think I made $300 a week. And, um, and so I had Mondays off so that I could get some side jobs doing construction, you know, to be able to afford our family. So uh, the church just helped out. People would come and visit. Our pastor and his wife would come down and visit. They had just had a little baby. Their fifth child was born with uh, all sorts of sin, 
he was blind, he was deaf, he was uh, just a lot of stuff. Heart issues, you know, had heart surgery, all, all this stuff. And so they had just kind of gone through all of it. And so they would come and they would visit and they would just comfort Tracy and I because it's really a frightening time, you know. We thought, this little guy's going to die. And they told us, they said, if we do, we're going to go in and we're going to try to fix the problem, but we, he's, we, can't, we can't do the incision here because there's a chance that um, he will have an infection, kind of like the little boy that was right next to us. So he's young enough to where we could go through the ribs. We'll just go through the side. And if you ever see Nehemiah without his shirt on, he's got a scar about that big now. It's just real tiny. And then he's got, it looks like a bullet hole, uh, but that's where they, they put the hose in his lungs. They said, the difficulty is, is that we need to deflate both of his lungs. And the tricky thing is that getting those lungs to inflate again. And so they told us, you know, this is a percentage, this is, you know, the difficulty. But Psalm 20 was a psalm that was, was given to us. People would come and they would visit and they would say, you know what, I was, I was praying for you guys and I believe that the Lord gave us Psalm 20 for you. And it happened once and twice. And we just thought, well, that's interesting. And we would find ourselves, you know, because um, once they found out what was wrong with Nehemiah, they did move us to his own room, but his own room was ICU. And so he was in a, you know, it was all, and we, were, we just slept on the floor in ICU, and, um, and they were watching him all the time and everything. So it was a really frightening time. Of course, he was in there after the surgery. But that psalm was so meaningful to us. When we got home from the hospital, I mean, we are gone for three weeks. And um, my mother came up and she was watching the other kids. And um, when we got home, um, we were going through our mail. And we got these, these little cards, you know, that kind of open up. And all the cards were the same. And they were written out prayers. And we're reading these. And I remember Tracy and I were just sitting on our bed and we're just weeping as we're reading these cards from complete strangers. It was from a church in Texas. And um, they had heard about our situation and, and Nehemiah and they had written out these, these prayers, you know, that the Lord would, would help us, that the Lord would remember, you know, and, and these types of things. And time and time again, Psalm 20, Psalm 20, Psalm 20. And it was just so beautiful. That's why Psalm 20, for us personally, is such a, a, a meaningful psalm. Again, we don't think of a pre-lute you know, to war or <laughs> postscript to war. We think of the time that the Lord was with us every step of the way. You know, um, when my pastor came and visited us, and would comfort us and pray for us. And other people would come, and people were so loving. Um, you know, when you try living, uh, after a while, um, they didn't let both of us stay in the room. So you would kind of race. There were a few pads, and if you grabbed a pad early enough, you could sleep in the waiting room, but you were there with a bunch of other people. And so, that was, so we had a, a Dodge van 
and I just would sleep out in the Dodge van in the parking lot. And again, it was so shady down there that you couldn't leave like a window open because you'd probably get killed in the middle of the night. So it was, the windows were up and it was hot and everything. And, and, um, but I remember reading Psalm 20, Psalm 20, Psalm 20, Psalm 20. And the Lord was so faithful uh, to help us. Do you have scriptures like that? Do you have things that you say, this is meaningful to me because this is what we went through? You know, hold on to that. Remember that. You know, when you go through difficulties, remember the victories of the past. And we've had very, we've had so many victories. And I'll tell you, there's been many times when we thought, well, if we do this, we've got to do that. We have to do this. We have to do that. You know, kind of the, the end of that story, which is so cool. So, the same year that Nehemiah had his surgery, so that was a big deal. Uh, let me tell you what we didn't do. We didn't go hide in a corner and cry because life is too hard for us. That same year, we came up here to Pioneer Church. Who would have thought? We came up with Nehemiah <laughs> in our Dodge van, uh, staying in campgrounds, going to city and place and praying and asking the Lord, Lord, is this a place? And looking for a green light from the Lord. And we come up here. You know, we end up moving up here, Whidbey Island, to pioneer the church. And they, they told Tracy and, and I, I mean, Tracy more than I, they said, as soon as you relocate in Washington, you need to find a pediatrician because they need to watch Nehemiah. We just need to see how he goes. So Tracy goes and she gets a pediatrician who's a complete stranger to her. The pediatrician comes into the room. She's looking at his file. And she said, are you, were you, are you guys mountain people in the foothills of the Sierras, California? And Tracy said, yeah, she's assuming that it's just on the file, you know. And she said, I was on the pulmonary team when your son's surgery was taking place. This, she says, I was going to UC Davis. And, and she says, do you know that your little guy is famous in the, in the medical journals because we've never seen this type of thing and so your little guy's written up. But I th we, we just thought how special that was. It's not like we're moving to some big city. We, you know, old Carver, little old Carver. And to have the doctor who happened to be in the surgical room, you know, when all of that happened. So remember the victories, guys. Don't fret and wring your hands. And oh, if only we've seen it time and time again. We have so many stories to where you thought, how in the world is this going to work out? And I, you know, I, I, I can't go into it, but we had a situation. It looked so bleak, you know, and we were told, a matter of fact, like, this is not going to happen. There's no way this thing is going to happen. By the time we got home, there was a phone call, there was a phone message on the machine saying, okay, it could happen. <laughs> and it was a big thing. I'm not going to tell you what it was, but it was a big thing. And we saw the hand of God. Trust the Lord. 
lean on him. You can fall back on the arm of the flesh and try to make things happen on your own. But don't be surprised if things go from bad to worse. Or you could fall upon him and say, Lord, your will be done. I was hoping, I was praying that the teaching was going to be short tonight because I think that you'll you get more out of it if it's shorter. But I can't do it. So, Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for these psalms. We pray, Lord, that tonight I pray that the folks who have a portion of Scripture, maybe it's a psalm that's been special to them, that tonight maybe they would find a time, sit down in their comfortable chair, open up their Bible, and to read that psalm, their psalm, their portion of Scripture that's special to them, Lord. That they would sit there, that they would reflect upon, oh, the difficulties, oh, the hardships, oh, how frightening it was. But then that they, they, they would not stop there, but they would say, but God was so faithful, but God was so good. And we pray, Lord, that we would do that on a regular basis. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.